Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Today's episode is with Becca Boylan, who recently, very recent, a couple months ago, finished running 475 miles across the state of Montana. And why she did it is an even crazier story. She spent a, a year nearly at her mother's side as she dealt with cancer and to, as she says, metabolize and, and kind of work through the the living grief and the the you know the emotional just challenge that was to be there with her. Uh, she ran across the state. Her mother did make it through, but right before she started this run, she was re-diagnosed. And so Becca's going to tell us that story about the impact of combining physical challenge with emotional challenge. We see this a lot, and I encourage you, if you're going through something, find an outlet like this. Find a challenge to do. It inspires so many people. It's a great way to deal with with it, and you're just changed on the other side. It sounds like Becca's life will be forever changed. And by the way, she's a fifth-generation uh, Montanan. Montanan? Is that the right word? On both sides, not just one side, but her mom and her dad. So rare breed, as I say, because there's not a lot of uh, you know folks that have been around in the same spot that long uh, anymore. But all right, let's go ahead and dive into Becca's story. Becca Boylan, welcome to the show. How you doing? Good. Thanks good. for having me. Good, good. Uh, as as is tradition, I always ask where where's home for you, and if that's not where you're coming from right now, where where are you coming from? I was lucky enough to grow up in Bozeman, Montana. My family's been here for five generations and stuck around, and I'm still here, so I haven't left. You are a rare breed. <laughs> yeah. Fifth generation yeah. Bozeman, Mont- Montanan. Yeah, it's getting rare. It is getting rare. So I guess pioneer folks that you just stayed put. Is that is that kind of the story? Yeah. Yep. I had great, great grandmas from Sweden and great, great grandpas from Ireland come over and, you know, they just hung out and both on both my mom and dad's side. So both, both parents were fourth generation, making me a double fifth generation. No kidding. So yeah, I only ask because being from Florida, it's kind of simple, just lots of people moving in. I'm third generation and I, I know a lot of old timers, you know, five, six, seven generation Floridians. And it, it, the story is, you know, there's just not that many of us. And so for you, even more so, Montana's just getting inundated with people. Is there that conversation or kind of that narrative constantly like, you know, it's just changing around us, but we're, we've been here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Specifically to Bozeman and the Gallatin Valley. I think COVID didn't really do us any favors and neither did the show Yellowstone. <laughs> so between those two things and, you know, Bozeman's really beautiful and people want to get out of the cities. We've kind of blown up here and um, it's bittersweet. It's it's hard to see, you know, fields that have been in homes and families for decades be, you know, torn down and built into condos. And that's hard. Yeah. It's hard to have a bunch of new people in town and new familiar faces and new thoughts and ways of beings. And, um, to feel kind of like, you know, your values are kind of like pushed to the wayside. It's a little difficult, but it's okay. Growth it, is good. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes I, you know, we're, we're dealing with that. I hate to bring this up, but I, there's a funny connection here. Florida is a small peninsula, tons of people moving here, but there's some, un- there's panthers here and black bears and we're, we're pr- trying to protect as much as possible, but it's just getting turned to houses. It's beautiful. Yeah. We made a film, like a Nat Geo film, National Geographic film earlier this year, t- telling this story. It was in theaters all over the state and the director is actually from Bozeman. Oh, wow. Eric Bendick works with Grizzly Creek Films. Uh, if you've ever heard of Grizzly Creek, I think they make mostly like nature documentaries for like Discovery Channel or whatnot. But anyway, he's a Floridian. I just had him on this show and he's become a good friend, but he's right there in Bozeman and he's telling our stories. And I want to see like, hey man, that's, uh, you know, you, that's almost the same exact plot of this, basically what you just said, what's happened in the Bozeman too. So very weird connection there, but huh. that's really cool. Well, maybe maybe I should find Eric and we we should have a talk or something. Yeah, because- yeah, definitely because he that's his you know love is is that area, and mm-hmm. I know that y'all being filmmakers with Coyote Collective, I'm sure there's they're they're very well established. Grizzly Creek Films. Okay, cool. All right, 
born and raised Montana. Now I know you do. You also come from a big family. Tell me about that. How that shaped? How that shaped you? I was actually born in Jackson Hole, oddly enough. So my parents had a ski a ski phase and decided to be ski bums in Jackson Hole. So I was accidental, born in Jackson Hole on accident, and um, and then my family, my my parents came back to the Gallatin to be around their parents and my grandparents. And I'm the oldest of six. So it's myself. And then I have two sisters and three brothers and we're all two years apart, 18 months apart. Wow. The two year plan. Yeah. (laughs) I actually grew up homeschooled for the most part. So I grew up riding horses, running around town, like doing big family adventures as a kid. And I think that kind of made me able to think outside the box. And it definitely instilled a lot of, a lot of self-confidence in me to grow up that way. And also being the oldest, I'm sure you felt a, or you feel a pressure to set the tone almost. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. What do your siblings think about, like, are, are they also, you know, they probably had a, the same childhood. Are they also adventurous, outdoorsy like you are, or are y'all kind of just taking different paths? Oh no, we're all, we're all similar in that way. We're all kind of rough and wild and crazy and like to push the limits and try and find, you know, try and find something to get into, whether it's fishing or hunting or running or whatever, whatever it could be. (laughs) Oh man. Well, well, speaking of that, I do want to, you know, I know our time's a little limited. I want to talk about your adventure running across Montana. And I, and I know, I know why you did this, but I don't know why this specific challenge versus something else. Can, can you talk to us about your run across Montana? Why, why across the state you love? Why the route you chose even? Just tell us about like where this idea, the, the very beginning seed of this idea started. It actually started with a cancer diagnosis, oddly enough. And in, in uh, June of 2001, my mom was diagnosed suddenly with acute myeloid leukemia. She was super sick. We thought it was COVID. She went in and she had a white blood cell count of over 200,000. Typical is 2,000. And it was enough of a shock to her system that she had blood clots in both her lungs and in her legs. And as the oldest kid, I spent um, close to 365 days with her as a caregiver, taking care of her in the hospital in Utah. And we did chemo. She had chemo resistance genes. We did a bone marrow transplant, which is 100 days of outpatient care in Salt Lake and 30 days in a closed bone marrow transplant unit. And during her treatment, I would leave and I'd go run the trails behind the hospital in Salt Lake and I'd go sneak onto the track at University of Utah and run. And it was this very cathartic mechanism that got me through her cancer diagnosis and her leukemia treatment. And, um, you know, she got better. Uh, It was successful. And in the middle of her treatment, I ended up signing up for this, the rut, which is this 50K mountain 50K that's insanely difficult and big sky. And to give her something to look forward to. And, you know, she ended up getting better and was able to come to that race. And I felt like there was something inside of me that still needed some resolution. And when you go through something trying and something difficult, a lot of times the body needs to express that in, in a form of like a challenge or pain you know, and like, there's all this weight of emotional pain that people carry around with them. And I was feeling that. And I came up with this plan to run across my, my home state to honor my mom, to honor my role in her cancer treatment, to honor everyone that had been affected by cancer and give everyone else that I knew an opportunity to join in this, to use running as a mechanism for therapy and community and reflection upon the hardships that life can have and bring. And, um, yeah, so that was kind of like the inception of the idea was a personal challenge that would allow me to metabolize the emotional pain of her cancer treatment, even though it was successful, it was like very isolating and a year is a long time to be, you know, going through the there. That's a part of it. I probably gets under overlooked maybe is that's a long time for you, especially at, at that age, you know, where there's a lot, you're, could be doing to spend, I mean, I guess where you almost basically moved there, that's about, about a year 
Yeah. And a lot of it was actually driving. Like I would drive in between Salt Lake and Bozeman. So seven hour car rides. I was 26 at the time, just freshly broke off an engagement, like high stress time for me as a, as a young adult. And, um, and, you know, you just kind of have to like push aside everything else in life and just focus on like survival and AML, like my mom's particular genetics and, um, some of the other clinical factors, her survival rate was and is about 20%. And which isn't great, you know? And so she's only, she was only 56. I had two younger brothers that were still in the house. One was in high school still. So there was a lot of like responsibility and weight on me as the oldest kid with a degree in neuroscience and cell biology who worked in the ER for five years to step up to the plate and take care of a mom that was really sick when everyone else in my family really didn't have the time or resources or experience to be able to do that. Um, and, and I needed an outlet and running was that for me. So running was that, that saving grace for me during her transplant. And afterwards, once she was considered, you know, quote unquote, in remission, I found that I still had this emotional pain and I had to get rid of it in some way. I'm a huge believer in turning challenges into growth and turning negative into positive. And there's always a way to turn a situation into something positive and beautiful. And so I decided to make this run about running my home state bigger than myself and invite other people along the way to do it. If, you know, if they were affected by cancer or if they had emotional pain that they wanted to kind of metabolize through running. Wow. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm the oldest. Uh, my mom's about the same age, funny enough. She had me young. And uh, really? yeah, and it's just like, I, I think I would, it'd be the similar, like I just have to do it. You know, it's just fall yeah. on me. I don't know if my younger, they're all boys, younger brothers would 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 do it, but uh, or could do it. But yeah, that's, uh, dang, would I be able to do that? That's what I'm thinking right now. I don't know. So yeah. kudos to you for, for that. So y'all probably obviously bonded a or at least had a different relationship after that experience than you did beforehand. Yeah, 100%. And her cancer diagnosis, like my mom and I weren't very close and my parents at the time had a really um, kind of rocky marriage and were considering divorce, adding to the stress of everything. God, yeah. <laughs> That's better to make um, sense now. <laughs> right, yeah. But in a way, like her cancer diagnosis was one of the most beautiful things that could have happened at that time in our lives. Cause it really brought our family together. You know, my parents are now together and more in love than they've ever been through it. And, you know, it taught me compassion and empathy and my whole perspective about life changed because of this, you know, you see, I remember like walking into the hospital room the first day she was diagnosed and I'd left work at the ER, drove seven hours nonstop, just, tears streaming down my face, got to the hospital room in Salt Lake at University of Utah in Huntsman. And um, the first thing my mom said to me was, she's like, you know, like, why was I so bitter for so long? Why was I so angry and so bitter for so long? And that was her regret, you know, is anger and bitterness. And, um, and that really like struck me. And having a family member that could die literally like the next day, but they're not dead yet. Right. It's like that slow motion death, that slow motion loss. That's so difficult and so unique to cancer that really set my perspective for life. And, you know, nothing's important. Like the things that are important, there's like maybe five things, you know, and it's time with family, like, loving other people and going about the world with love and like maybe two or three other things, but 95% about what we're worried at, like, Oh, my coffee was cold this morning. Oh, I don't like my haircut today, whatever. Like, it doesn't matter in the big picture, you know, and that just totally changed my perspective about importance and priorities and what life is really about. And then the second thing that was really beautiful about her, her, leukemia diagnosis is she found sobriety. So my mom was an alcoholic for a long time and struggled with addiction. And, um, and that's one of the reasons why I turned to running because I knew I couldn't turn to like a substance, um, as a, as a, as a young adult, I just couldn't, that wasn't an option. So I just choose 
exercise instead. And it's, it's been a really beautiful journey since then. Wow. That's sorry to keep bringing up the connections, but I, I come from a family of alcoholics and actually work for a non-alcoholic <laughs> brewery. And, uh, you know, sobriety is, is a major reason people drink us a lot. I mean, it's a minority yeah. of people, but still it's, it's, we're very yeah. popular in that community. So the, my dad, self-admitted alcoholic mm. when I was born and, and, and quit. And uh, yeah, there's still some in the family that, that are dealing with it, but yep. something replaces the addiction, you know, yes. so, it, or, or at least can fill that. And so running is <laughs> a great alternative yes. uh, because there's so many benefits. Well, all right. So sometimes when this kind of stuff, you know, you, you obviously don't want to leave your mom's side. There's like, it's your mom. You, it, it, yeah. There's this year that you spent bonding and your relationship growing and changing and in her process what then you had this idea to run across the state was that at all scary like now i'm going to be you know away from everybody i love or did you view it like that maybe you didn't view it like that let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible that is plenty of that for now let's get back into the episode I, I didn't view it like that. It was more like life is too short. Like I had this moment of reflection where you're like, life is too short not to do the things that scare you, not to do the things that, you know, like if you look back, like, oh man, I wish I would have done that. Like regret is such a powerful motivator. And, um, and at the time my mom was in remission. So my mom had a bone marrow transplant. It was successful and her leukemia went away because of that. Um, and I could go into a whole biology lesson, but essentially the stem cells in your bone marrow make all of your blood cells and all of your immune cells, the majority of them, and her stem cells mutated. So the very genesis of all of her blood making and immune making cells became cancerous and uncontrollable and infunctional. And so the only solution for that is a bone marrow transplant where they give you horrendous amounts of chemo and then I give you a donor bone marrow. So my mom got a donor through the Be The Match uh, donor pool. And they're an international male that was like 24 years old at the time. So some random stranger saved my mom's life, which is really cool. But Jeez. Uh, that is, golly, that's wild. So this is even more emotional trauma, or not trauma, but just emotional to, to, to deal with. And so yeah. uh, did you, did you say, okay, Montana's not long enough. Let me just run across the country. And stuff like I thought about it. <laughs> I thought about it, but then I realized like, you know, my dad, I grew up and my, my dad was an artist when I was growing up and everything was all connected and it was all about how life's connected and there's meaning in everything. And I think I took some of that with me into adulthood and so this, this Montana run idea was like, I'm from Montana. My parents are from Montana and I need a way to, you know, share that love for the state that I grew up in that's changing and share running with people that have been affected by cancer. And at the same time, I have this personal motivation to find a solution for the emotional pain of that really strenuous and stressful year of taking care of her. And literally was on a run with Connor when I was like, you know what I think I'm going to do is I think I'm going to think I'm going to go <laughs> think I'm going to run across the whole state of Montana. And Connor at the time was like, you know what you should actually do is bike it. And I said, no, I'm going to run it. And literally didn't like I always knew I wanted to run from north to south because um, it's just prettier that way. Eastern Montana is flat and boring. And I wanted to hit all the major s small towns that I grew up um, visiting and and grew up becoming fond of, you know, living here. So I've, I've biked across Montana a couple of times and <laughs> yeah, East, East side's kind of slow. Although I had, I have some great friends in Judith gap. If you've ever heard of Ooh. that, um, a little small time right in the middle of the state, but, uh, Please. all right. So your route, you wanted to do this, you wanted to, to, you know, metabolize, I think is the word you use. Yeah. The, the, that's a really in very fascinating way. I've never heard it put that way, but that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I can envision that. So how did you choose like where you wanted to go? Because Montana is a, a place of beautiful trails. Like you could have done this without being on any roads. What was the idea to 
stay on a lot of roads and, and kind of see your state in that way? A lot of it came down to functionality. So Montana has some Indian reservations. So originally it was going to be from Starburst, Montana, which is middle northern Montana by the Canadian border to Bozeman to West Yellowstone. And I was going to run kind of to Bozeman. There's an issue with that because there is a reservation there. And just, you know, I wanted to be respectful of the land and the Native American populations and not just think that I could just go running through a reservation and feel like I own, you know, like feel like I had autonomy there. Like, um, so eventually I decided to start in Eureka, Montana, which is more on the the west side of the state because we had some good friends that lived in Eureka that had been affected by cancer. It just, it just made sense. I grew up, I spent a couple of years in Libby, Montana and oh, yeah. Eureka is pretty close to Libby. And it just made sense to start there and then make my way through the Sealy Swan Valley, which is super beautiful. And then go to Orvando and run through that and then run into Ennis and then to the Idaho state line. And when I first built the route, there was quite a bit of um, mountain mountain ridges and um, I wanted to run through the Bob Marshall wilderness. I wanted to run, there's a 50 mile stretch to the Bob Marshall um, with huts that a lot of people uh, backpack on horses. And I wanted to run that with a support crew on foot originally. Um, so I had this whole plan to do kind of a mix of ridges and trails and roads and some in the, the wilderness area three days before the start date of the run, which was my mom's diagnosis date of June 12th. I got a phone call from my mom and after planning for like nine months and training for nine months and getting sponsors and getting crews set up and getting a van donated and getting funds for gas and like scratch, essentially, I got a call from my mom and uh, her cancer had come back three days and she was re-diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia three days before the start of my my run almost two days to the date of her initial diagnosis day. Jeez. Yeah. So what, yeah, what does that change? What does that do for your trip and the way you're thinking about it, all that? Yeah. Well, the first thing I did is I like, I zipped down to my parents' house and we had kind of a family meeting and I was like, mom, it's okay. I cannot do the run because I wanted her to start chemo immediately. Her her cancer had gone kind of missed for like a month and it's super aggressive and things can change super quick, like overnight. Uh, her, her cancer can like just explode overnight. It's very aggressive. She was like, you know what, Becca, you did so much for me this time. The way you can support me and the way you can take care of me is by doing this run. And it was like totally this moment of selflessness where she's like, I can see that you need this and I need you to run for me too. Like I'm going to need something to distract me while I'm in the hospital going through chemo again. So literally the day I started running, she restarted chemo. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it was just like, it's, it's just so weird how life happens like that though. Like the timing of that, you're just like, this is insane. Like what are the chances that I, you know, it could have been any date. It could have been any day. It could have been any month, any summer. And, you know, it was like literally almost down to the day that she got re-diagnosed on the start date of June 12th and the run start date. I was like, this is, this is kind of a sick joke. <laughs> it it kind of, you know, I don't, I don't know. I just, I take that as just, I don't even know what I mean by this, but just some sort of sign that, all right, now this is what I'm supposed to do. This Yep. This this is part of the script, you know what I mean, of totally. my life. Like I gotta, I gotta do this, and so I'm sure that made you feel like, in some ways, more motivated, and others like maybe I should be with her. But her blessing for the adventure, I'm sure, was you know a a relief of some sort to say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going. Tell us about starting this because you know it's one thing to say I'm gonna do this going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. It's a whole other thing to start on that state line and just start going. From what I could tell, the weather wasn't that great. <laughs> well, yeah. So the first, the first day I, it was downpouring rain, like downpouring rain. And I had my younger sister 
um, crewing me that day. We kind of had like some crewing issues because of my mom. So my younger brothers weren't able to come help me like we had planned. And so it was just my younger sister. And she had a three-year-old daughter with her. And it was just like one of those things where I was like, all right, great. Well, I guess I'm kind of on my own today. And because not a lot of bandwidth with the kids. Yeah, I've got a three-year-old and they're, uh, they, they, they roll the schedule. Yep. That's for sure. Yep. And so, you know, we started four hours later than I wanted to start. I think I started at like 1 p.m. And I was supposed to run 25 miles that day in the rain. Started at the Canadian line and threw on a running belt and threw some gels in my pocket and took off. And literally just like, I'm really lucky where I, the more I run, the better I feel in that regard. And so by mile 14, I was feeling pretty good. Um, and I ran into town at that point. So the other part of this <laughs> whole adventure was I was the one logistically planning everything and building the route and telling people where to be and where to meet me and planning like daily timelines while also running six to eight hours a day. Gosh. And so like, I don't know how, I don't know how I did it, but somehow it got pulled off. And a lot of it is thanks to, you know, my fiance, Connor, who like literally like showed up and helped at the end. And I couldn't have done this project without him. But the first couple, the first week was really rough. But yeah, I started it and I got drenched within the first like 20 minutes of running, like absolutely drenched and just was like, well, my only choice is to run 14 miles into town. So I better get going. And literally I had this thought of like, Becca, what are you doing? Like, this is like, I'm not a professional athlete. Like I'm not even like, like even close to competitive at running. I just can go forever and I love it. And so literally I had 14 miles to think about all of these things about why am I doing this? And again, kind of like what you were saying, like this kind of like internal voice was like, you know what? Like, I just know I've, I've been supposed to do I know that I'm supposed to be planning to do this and to do this for like the last nine months. And I knew that my mom's cancer was to tie into it and I didn't really know how. And so while I was planning the run, there was this just internal drive. And I was like, I just know I need to do this. And I just feel like I'm supposed to. And then when she got re-diagnosed, all of a sudden, all it's like all the pieces fell into place three days before the start date. And so I was just kind of like going for it until I knew what it was supposed to be when she got re-diagnosed. And, and then all of a sudden it all became really clear, like, oh man, like she needs this now. And now it's got so much more meaning behind it. And now it's not just me telling a story of cancer in review from two years ago, but now it's me telling a story and drawing parallels between, you know, running, ultra running and and physical hardships of running 25 miles a day or whatever with the metaphor or as a metaphor for a cancer diagnosis rather. And so then it all fell into place literally three days before the start. <laughs> but yeah, like I, as I was running those first 14 miles, all of that just kind of hit me. And I was like, oh, I am supposed to be doing this. Oh, it's, it's going to be okay. Oh, it's, it's all going to work out because it's worked out so far. Um, yeah, and just kind of putting like some some faith into like the universe and you know a higher power that like it's all orchestrated and if you have something on the inside you got to follow your heart and just trust that trust that it's all going to work out for you because if you're doing that and you feel that drive on the inside chances are the world really needs something like that and if you can do it great and and you you might not know exactly how it's going to unfold just because you can't see 400 miles down the road, but you just got to start and keep going. And, and the the pieces will fall into place as you go. And I don't know about you, but sometimes on these big trips, there's a big obstacle or something I'm really anticipating, maybe really nervous about. And then it could be crossing a bridge or a river or, or some sort of obstacle at going through a city. And then all of a sudden, it's like you're past it. All of a sudden, it's in the rearview mirror and like, holy cow, all that worrying about that thing's now gone. Was there anything like that on this route that you were kind of like, I don't know about this part? Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. There was a section where I had to run through a two-lane highway, which I think is kind of technically illegal to be running on highways, but I, I did it. We won't uh, tell anybody other than the you know, know. thousands of people that listen to this. It was like, and there was no shoulder. It was in this totally dense forest in bear country up in Northern Montana. And I'm terrified of bears. I'm terrified. I hate the woods. 
like I had a really scary bear encounter with my dad when I was young. And ever since then, I've totally avoided the woods. It was so claustrophobic and I had an inReach and the trees were so thick, the inReach didn't work and there was zero cell service. And so I was stuck running this road for five hours, unable to tell my support crew where to find me, where to pick me up, like, hey, like come check on me. And this part of Montana is also the highest rate of human trafficking and and like kidnappings in Montana. Serious? For serious. Yeah, absolutely serious. Yeah. Yeah. Like, unfortunately, Montana has some of that going on, especially in the northern, more remote areas. There's just not a lot of population. And so people get um, trafficked across that area quite a bit. Like across the border? Yeah. and, And just through different states through that area, because there's you know, you don't, you won't see cars for, you know, 30 minutes at a time on, on the highway. I've crossed the border at Roosevelt, which is where you were near. Yeah. Yeah. There's just nothing around there. Yeah. yeah you're There's right. one saloon there called the last chance saloon. And I was like, all right, <laughs> yeah. here we go. <laughs> that's your, that's it. That's all you got. Yep. Golly, yep. that's terrible. And you're running yeah. through the woods in this spot. Totally in the woods without, I had forgotten bear spray. And I had a, a small, like, nine millimeter pistol with me. That was my personal one just for protection. And, you know, you got to be safe out there. And it's just, it's part of reality running through. And you had that thing on like you. That. And, and I had also forgotten that. And so I ran unarmed. Oh, you forgot unaided. the gun, too. I thought you said you had the gun. No. No, oh. totally, just like totally vulnerable and couldn't get a hold of my crew. And I was like, well, and so then my mind started playing that, like, there's a bear, there's a bear, there's a bear. And for like literally two hours, I was like just terrified running. Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to run into bear or Sasquatch or like, I'm going to get snatched, you know? And finally, I was just like, you know what? This is ridiculous. I need to confront this fear. And like, it's all in my head. Like, I'm going to be okay. And just literally had to use mind over matter to get through it because the only option like the only solution was to get over it so that I could run faster so I could get safe sooner and, and kind of call out, you know, kind of like that worry in my head of like, Oh my gosh, like I'm totally going to get like eaten by a bear here. And was it the smartest decision? Probably not. Did I get lucky? Probably. But also I think a lot of that is just choosing to have control over your mind and the fears and the lies and the scenarios that your mind can tell you. It'll run rampant. Yeah, I'd, I'd say very least take some bear spray next time. But, you know, besides that, yeah, yeah. You just, just, you know, knowing what's really, honestly, the most dangerous part of this whole thing, as you probably are aware well of, is vehicles. Yeah. It's not the scariest thing because we deal with them every day. But in reality, that's by far oh. the most dangerous part of this is, is, is you being on the road a lot of the times. And, and, yeah. and that's not something that, you know, a lot of people might even bring up if they talk about the dangers of what this would be. Right. Bears, I'm sure, are top of the list. Yeah. Although I did almost step on a rattlesnake, like very <laughs> legitimately. And that was like maybe the closest I came to any wildlife danger. But yeah, the the cars for the most part, like, I don't know if you, there was some guy that ran across Australia and he talked about cars, like purposely trying to like swerve in and like scare them off the road and stuff. And I experienced some of that and there's a lot of fatigue that goes on in the nervous system when you're constantly running towards oncoming traffic essentially. And so trying to mitigate that nervous system fatigue was like a really interesting challenge as well. What Um, what do you mean? Do you mean like the, the having to pay attention so much kind of wears down your senses or, or what, what is that? Yep. Yeah. Having to be constantly on the alert for potentially getting hit by a car having to um, think about, okay, like if I, you know, come around this corner this way and there's a car here, how is that going to play out? And then um, just the sensory overload of being passed by semi-trucks for five hours at a time on foot and like the sound and the smoke and the like vibrations of it all. It's a lot for a nervous system that's already running that's already like, that's already a stress on like your nervous system. And so, um, yeah, cause if you do that for long enough, you actually will like kind of mess up your cortisol levels and you, and then you won't be able to sleep and then you're really messed up. 
for multi-day. Yeah. And you're really screwed for multi-day um, runs like this, where it's not just like, oh, I, I, I have to make it through, you know, 48 hours of running. It's like, no, I have to make it through this for 19 days. Golly. So 19 days, you, you know, a mix of running. Did you, and you got off road for some of it, at least on forest roads. Tell us about some of what you were seeing. You know, I'm just sure just endless amounts of beauty. Yeah. Well, so that was what was so wonderful about this, like this endeavor was I got to run through a state that I knew and I loved and I knew how everything looked. And I got to be surrounded by mountains and fields and cows and ranchers and running underneath the big sky. And that propelled me just as much as like the running or the thought of like sharing my mom's story or sharing a story of cancer with other people is yeah I'd be running and it was really stressful and my body hurt and I was tired and logistically trying to plan things but then I was surrounded by this total natural beauty that you know just totally filled me up as the run kept going and like I don't I, I don't know how people, I don't think you could run 19 days through New York City. You know, there's no way, but you could totally run 19 days through Montana, like easy. It's gorgeous. Did you learn anything new about your state? Maybe, I just feel like places that, it's actually something I'm going to be talking to someone about specifically soon, is like thinking you know a place until you're forced to explore it in a new way. And you're like, I had no idea this was here, or I've never seen this before did you have any sort of realization right like that? Like, wow, this is this is where I call home. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Absolutely. I think in general, there was a lot of appreciation for how rural Montana still is. Like despite Bozeman really growing and, you know, our population influx being unreal right now, Montana is still so rural and there's still so much of it that's untouched and empty and wild. And it was really comforting to see that. And it was really cool to find these small towns on the map that maybe had, you know, a gas station, a bar and a church, <laughs> you know, and the essentials. And really, yep. Yeah. The essentials. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was really cool to like, you know, there's this little town called Orlando, Montana, that is, it's actually outside of a wildlife area. And it's got this great cafe in there that we had to stop in and saved our butts because we needed food and coffee really bad. And it has a church, a general store and a cafe and a fishing shop. And that's the town. And it was like, you know, I've, I've heard about it, but I've never been there. And then to go there and run through that place and run through the area that it's a part of was just, it's so cool to see small towns like that still persisting. Yeah. You know, and like, you know, run into the general store and there's like 10 older guys sitting outside of it all smoking. And they're like, where'd you come from? And I'm like, I came from Canada. And they're like, what? I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, and I'm probably like the youngest kid they've seen in like 10 years or something. <laughs> oh, they're all retired and fishing, but it was great. <laughs> That was probably the Stray Bullet Cafe or Trixie's Antler Saloon. How do like, you know? Yeah, the Stray Bullet. Yeah, great. I'm looking at a map. I'm, I'm not, I don't know that by heart. I'm looking at a map. I, anytime <laughs> I talk, and so that's my. Maybe listeners don't know that, but when people are talking, I'm, I'm looking at the map of what you're talking about because I want to, <laughs> you know, when when the guest is talking, I'm just like, yeah, what's going on here? But yeah, that I mean, there ain't a whole lot there in Ovando. That's <laughs> no. that's that's about it. Holy cow! So yeah. It, you know, you're an anomaly to people's day too. They see you at the gas station. They see you somewhere. Did you have a hard time knocking out the mileage that you plan to do with just all the people that probably wanted to talk to you? You know, I I didn't. There was a few days where I fell short. My mom ended up in the ICU during the run. And so I had to pause the run for three days to drive down. And she, she like had a really serious medical complication with her chemo. And, you know, we almost lost her then. And, oh. and so I had to leave to go spend time with her in the ICU. And then there was a couple days where just the mental fatigue was too much for me to handle. And, and I just could only run like seven miles that day. Like by the time it took me to wake up, get food, get motivated, that's all I had time for. 
And so as far as like the physical aspect of it, I never met my limit, which is unbelievable. Like I thought I'd be falling apart physically, but my limits were met mentally. And, um, you know, there was one day where I hallucinated and like saw hay balers turn into giant caterpillars and thought I had like a bird following me for 23 miles and literally stopped and like thought cows were talking to me. And, but that's like a mental limitation. Like my body never gave out. And then as far as like the timing thing, like, I don't think there was a single day where I didn't start sooner than like 9am. And, and so I was running through the heat a lot of the time, which if I would do it again, I'd start earlier. And that's what we'd all tell ourselves, but it's almost physically impossible between the mental load of planning and running and, and running for like six hours a day or whatever and trying to eat before that and do PT before that and be all set and have a running plan for the day to run before, you know, 9am if you're waking up at six. Yeah. That was honestly really cool. Part of the challenge though, was figuring out, you know, with Connor crewing me for the majority of it, like it was just him and I for a lot of it. So just two people figuring out how, how do we do this? Where do you pick me up? What do you need to do? As you got closer uh, what was the feeling of getting close to the finish? Was it a sense of relief? Was it a sense of an unfinished business? Did it did it feel harder as you got closer? Or was that second, third, fourth win coming? T- tell, talk to us about that. I'm always curious. I mean, honestly, I think the beginning was the hardest part because I couldn't, I was in those trees for like a month, like, or not a month, a week, sorry. But I was in that like wooded area for like a week where it was like boring, monotonous corridor of pine trees. And I'm used to wide open spaces and mountains and, you know, the big sky. And so that was really mentally hard. And then as I neared, so I think from Orvando, I ran into Avon and then I ran to Cardwell, Montana, and stayed at a campground there, which is awesome. And then from Cardwell, I ran into Norris, and then I ran to Ennis, and then I ran to Cameron, and then I ran to the Idaho State Line. And I specifically planned the run to run through Ennis and um, the Madison Valley because that's one of my favorite places in Montana. And I knew it, and I knew the roads, I knew the trails, I knew the ranchers, I knew, you know, the cafes and the bars and the coffee shops to stop at. And so as I was coming into the home stretch, it was a lot of like joy. And, and like towards the end, my mom got out of the hospital and was able to join me for the second to last day. And she like got out of the hospital, came up to Montana and walked like a mile and a half with me. And like that, just like, you know, to like meet her, you know, at this old ranch homestead, that was our friends, like to meet her there and have people that had lost family members to cancer and have my mom show up. And, you know, it's the second to last day. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Like I'm emotional and crying. And there's like kind of this, like the constructs that we put in front of ourselves that don't allow us to feel emotions had totally fallen because of like the stress of running. And I couldn't keep it suppressed anymore because like, you know, you're running for so much, your body, like, it's just going to come out. That's just how being a human is. And so it was like, it was definitely just a positive, beautiful experience towards the end. And I was, I was exhausted beyond belief. Um, mentally, even though my body felt good, it was hard to motivate. And, um, you know, I could eat all the caffeine and sugar I want and I'd still be like, all right, I guess I got to start running eventually. Like, okay, here we go again. And like Connor literally like pushing me out of the van to be like, get going. Like, here's your shoes, here's your socks, closing the door and leaving me. So I had no choice. Like that kind of like need for motivation was there at the end. But after like, you know, after I warmed up a little bit, it was like, man, I did it. This is beautiful. This is amazing. Like, I can't wait to be done. But at the same time, I'm so glad I'm here. Well, all of us need somebody to push us out the van door. And that's their job. Maybe they would be in the same, you know, I guarantee if Connor was doing that, you'd be like, Connor, get your butt out the door and get running. It's easier to do that when you're not the one running, but you need that person. You know, my wife is very often, get your tail outside and go do what you said you were going to do. And then you start and then you're like, 
this is awesome. I'm so glad I did this. I'm so glad you can, you know you got me going this morning. You need it. You need it. We all need it in any stage of life. So what I was going to ask you, what did your siblings, your your five younger siblings think about this? Think about their older sister doing this? Yeah. I mean, that's what's cool is they actually ended up, I convinced them to come help crew me. So I had like five oh, or six days right. of each of them coming to help crew me. One at a time. Which, one at a time. Yep. And we lived in a, in a van. Awesome. <laughs> so I had a van with a queen bed and a, and a cot in it. And that, that was our vehicle. And van, so you know? were they like, this is so cool. Or were they reluctant to crew? Like, are you sure you want to do this? Is this, this kind of dumb? I, I think it was half and half. I think half of them were like, Becca is crazy. Like she's crazy. She's lost her mind. Like she can't do this. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> And the other half of them being like, this is really cool. Like my brother Boyd, who's 21, he crewed me for a couple of days and he's kind of quiet. He's kind of like the more quiet one of us. And he, towards the end of his like crew time, he was like, hey, I, I, I think I want to run across Wyoming. And like, that's so cool. Like just having the concept that it's possible to do that is so cool. And to see, you know, him be like, you know, I think I'm going to start running. And like, I think I, I think I could run through the Wind Rivers. Like that kind of stuff is so cool, you know? <laughs> the inspiration, that, that is awesome. Well, did you achieve, I know you achieved what you set out to by, by finishing this run, but how do, how do you feel like it helped you, you know, metabolizing those emotions like you talked about before? How do you feel like it achieved those goals? I think part of it was making the run bigger than myself. It's so easy to become selfish with negative emotions. And so opening it up to other people affected by cancer. You know, they could sign up, they could join me. I had a number of friends from the ERA work at come and help run with me and join me for a day. That made it, you're able to share this common concept of pain and grief and seeing the run impact other people's lives in a positive way where it's spreading the message of hope and like strength and essentially like the, the theme that we're so much more capable of what we think we are. Like we are our own limitations and the human body can do amazing things, whether that's with chemotherapy or ultra running, like those are the same thing in my mind. And so to see, um, you know, this outreach of people on social media, um, cause I shared the whole thing on social media and, and getting messages being like, Hey, like, I just want to let you know, like I've been, I met one guy and he is on probably a 600 day running streak. And he just ran across his state. He ran 50 miles a day in three days. And I think he ran across Indiana for his dad with pancreatic cancer. And he's on day 600 of running, but he followed along on the Montana run. And then like, like he and I were talking and like, you know, three months later, he ran across his own state for his dad as a fundraiser. Like that kind of stuff is like, that's taking something so negative, which is like this really negative, emotionally heavy experience and, and making it, turning it into inspiration and, and positivity. And that, like, I think that um, helped me a ton to see, like, it's not what happens to you, but it's what you do with it. Um, that's empowering in a way. Gives you confidence for whatever for whatever life might throw at you. Mm -hmm. That's what I get out of stories of folks that take something really negative and turn it positive is, okay, you know, if I ever have to cross that bridge, I almost have a guide now or a template to to approach it and approach it and make it a really positive, impactful thing, not just for me, but for others. And how do you think this will change you? Because I know you really just finished a few months ago. So you're still in a lot of ways processing this. What do you think the legacy of this is going to be for you? How do you think it's going to kind of change your trajectory in life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's such a great question. I, I already want to do something more or continue doing stuff like this. I think, I think using running to build community and tell a story is really beautiful. And I love doing it personally. And I've had a lot of people be like, so can I sign up for next year? And I'm like, what do you mean next year? Like, no, I'm not white. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see if I have like the, the resources and, and the time and energy to do it again next year, or maybe do something similar where it's more organized and more cohesive. Maybe it's not the whole state, but maybe it's a mountain range with people or something like that. Um, so that kind of thing would be really cool. And um, there's a lot you could do. 
If you want to, that's the thing. I feel like a lot of people feel pressure, like what's next, what's next. And I mean, yeah, if that's what you will set out to do and that's all you wanted to do, that's fine too. Yeah. You know, yep. but if you want to do more. Yeah. And I, I mean, I have a couple running project ideas brewing in my head of, of what I could do next. And so we'll see, we'll see how things shake out. <laughs> yeah. There's a, I've got a friend that started a, paddleboarded from the Bahamas to Florida because his daughter was dealing with cystic fibrosis and he and some friends and it's this horrible disease. And anyway, he's trying to find a cure for his daughter who was going to die of it. And a couple of friends. And now I think they're on year like 12 or 15. And there's like 300 people a year that on paddle boards go like the hundred miles from the Bahamas to Florida (laughs) every, every summer, every summer. So it, it, you know, in a lot of ways, this is like that you, you did something other people want to join. They more or less do that same trip they did the first year, just with lots of people. And so, and it's all, and it all, I mean, they raise millions of dollars for wow. uh, Piper is his daughter. So that's awesome. Yeah. Could be something like that. Yeah. Anyway, that's uh keep, keep it going. You're, you're making a, a, a dent in the world. And what last question, yeah. and I'll let you go. Was it hard to readjust back to quote normal life after Dude, this? Absolutely. I, I don't know if I'm sick in the head or what, but I loved it. I loved running like to just be like, I have two pairs of shorts. I have six pairs of running shoes and I just get to run for eight hours today. I'm like, this is great. Just fuel up. It's all, it's like you get to be a, a, a an elk out on the prairie or a proghorn. You just get to think about survival yep. and that's it. Yeah. It's pretty Yeah, awesome. and it was hard to like reintegrate. Like people would hear about the run and I came back and like, I, you know, my body changed. Like I was super vascular and like ripped and, you know, and sunburnt and I'd wear tan lines and I'd go back into work and it was, it was hard to reintegrate. I'm not going to lie about that. I think people kind of looked at me like, what the f- what is like, you got something loose in the head. And it was like, maybe, but I'm happy about it. <laughs> Cause you know, it's, it's just, people didn't see it for a couple of weeks, you know, or, or a month. And so to them, that kind of time flies by for you. That felt like an eternity. After my first big trip, I went back to college and I failed two classes. I just couldn't like ad- make the adjustment. It was too much epicness and then right back into yeah. college. So yeah, there's, you're changed. And uh, it it is hard sometimes, but Rebecca, I know you got to go in like one minute. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm so glad we finally had the chance to talk and meet and (laughs) no hurricanes this time. (laughs) First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventure sports podcast dot com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. <laughs>